Praise the Lord. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us today. Let's pray and we'll get right into the word. Father, we thank you for this word. We pray, Father, that it falls on good fertile ground of our heart. Empower us and enable us to hear your word, to follow your word, and to be a part of what your word is doing in the earth. I thank you, Father, that we receive this word today without interference, without interruption, and without distraction. And we give you all the praise and all the glory for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, and amen. So if you would, open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 1, verse number 1. Uh, we've been doing a series study on the book of Acts. And today I want to mention something that is going to take us all throughout the book of Acts. Um, but I want to talk about the people in the book of Acts. It starts out here in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. So we see here that this is the beginning of what Jesus was going to do. This is the beginning of what Jesus was going to teach. And now we have to understand that we as the body of Christ are the hands and feet of Jesus to continue what he began doing. So really we could say that the book of Acts was a continuation of Jesus and now we are a continuation of Jesus. So in a way, we are people in the book of Acts or extending or continuing the writings of the book of Acts. But today, I specifically want to look at some particular people that are in the book of Acts. You know, the book of Acts is one of great, God's greatest performances or, or shows, we could say, in the earth. And God always picks a perfect cast for his performances. So we have to understand that the book of Acts is written about common people, people like us, people like you and me. Now, they did great things. They did expansive things. But nevertheless, most of them had their beginnings like we did. In any show, there's an antagonist who becomes the enemy type. There's a protagonist that becomes the hero type, and then there's the victims or the other players. And in the book of Acts, it's no different in God's show. He has antagonists of uh, the demonically possessed or the demon forces themselves. He has the uh, um, demonically um, inspired people like Herod. He has the crowds that would be stirred up to oppose his people. He even had a person by the name of Saul who was set out to persecute the church. Then we have the hero types. We have the heroes of Peter. We have Paul. We have the Holy Spirit himself. We have deacons. We have all kinds of people that did heroic things. And then we have those people that are the victims, those that were just under the influence of the antagonist or the protagonist. We have the man at the temple gate that sat there for over 40 years that was healed. We have the seven sons of Sceva that thought they knew what they didn't really know and tried to cast out a devil. And we have the reality show of Naked and Afraid started by them. We have Dorcas that was raised from the dead. Um, we have many people that were characters in here that were influenced by the protagonist and the antagonist. But I want us to understand that for today, we're not going to identify with just the characters in the book of Acts. 
and we certainly don't want to uh, identify with the antagonist. But today I want us to begin to understand some of the heroic people in the book of Acts and how they were people just like us when they began. That they were people that God called on them and counted on them to do great things. And they did these great things not because they were great people, but because there was a great God within them and upon them to do these great things. So the first person I want to talk about is Peter. Now, Peter had a beginning, we know, as a fisherman. And we see in Peter's initial calling, Jesus in Mark chapter 1 calls to Peter and says, follow me. And he and Andrew, his brother, it says, left their nets and followed him immediately. Now, Jesus called him to follow him. And Peter, from that point, never stopped following Jesus. And Jesus' command of follow made Peter an obedience to be a follower. So the first thing we understand that Peter was a follower of Jesus. Now, it's interesting to note that Peter was from a city called Bethsaida. And the word Bethsaida means house of fish. Now, that doesn't sound like a place of high, uh, etic, uh, high society. This is a house of fish that he's called out of. And Peter follows him out of the house of fish to become a follower of Jesus. We know that Peter was a businessman. He was working when Jesus called him. And we also know that this, this thing put within him to follow Jesus stayed with him because we even see in Mark chapter 14 when Jesus is on trial that it says Peter followed him at a distance. So Peter never gave up following Jesus. We also know about Peter that God could reveal things to him. We see this in Matthew 16 when Jesus asks, who do men say that I am? And then he says to Peter, but who do you say I am? So we see that Jesus said, well, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So we know that Peter was a person sensitive to revealings from the father. But yet, we also see in that same passage that Peter was also a person that would put his foot in his mouth from time and time again and speak things that maybe were boldly said but were either of error or deception. We also know about Peter that he was a bold one. He walked on the water to come to Jesus. Yet in 1 Peter 5, 5 through 8, he tells us in the book of Peter to understand how humility works and to be submissive one to another. Let's look over in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, and we'll see something else that was said about Peter. It says, when they saw, in verse 13 of Acts chapter 4, they saw the boldness of Peter and John. So we see here again that Peter is bold, and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. So we see here that Peter is bold, 
But yet in his boldness, they recognize that he's uneducated and he's untrained. But yet they realize his boldness is an offshoot or an extension of him having been with Jesus, of him following that commission of following Jesus. Now, it's interesting to note that in John um, 21, that Jesus um, is no longer present in physical condition with Peter. And so what Peter does is he goes back to fishing because he doesn't have anyone to follow. So he goes back to fishing. And I don't know whether it's because he was going back to fishing because that's initially when Jesus came into his life. I don't know if it's because he's downtrodden at heart thinking, I don't know what else to do, but just go back and do what I used to do. We don't know. But what we see here is Peter doesn't have the master to follow in the flesh. That, that commission originally was put on him. So he goes back to fishing. But then we see that Jesus appears to, appears to Peter and he gets his life straight. And then we move into Acts and in the book of Acts, we see Peter in um, Acts chapter 2 giving the uh, sermon that comes out of the day of Pentecost that the boldness he had now is tempered by the Holy Spirit and he speaks and preaches boldly and 3,000 souls are saved that day. But we, and then we have him getting uh, a revelation um, in the book of Acts chapter 10 about the Gentiles can be saved. So we have Peter now that knows how to continue following Jesus because he's been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So now he's not following a person of Jesus. Instead, he's following the Spirit of the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord in Acts 10 leads him in his prayer time through a vision of the possibility and the mandate that the Gentile race should also be saved and that he's not sent just to get the Jewish people saved, but ra rather the Holy Spirit now wants to begin to touch the Gentile people. So it's interesting that in Acts 10, Peter gets a revelation that Gentiles can be saved but in Galatians 2, let's turn over there to Galatians 2. We're going to go to this scripture. Galatians, written by the Apostle Paul, and he's talking about Peter. And he says, when Peter had come to Antioch, in verse 11, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. And he goes on and talks about this, that what he's saying is an and addressing is the fact that Peter was a Jew, but new Gentiles could be saved. And he would affiliate with the Gentiles until Jews came. And then he'd withdraw from the Gentiles and just have relationship with these Jews. And Paul called Peter a hypocrite. 
Now, this is the same Peter that had a vision from the Lord that Gentiles could be saved, but yet his theology would get mixed up when pressure was on him by people of the Jewish nationality or race. So Paul calls him a hypocrite. So we see here that Peter, even after being baptized with the Holy Spirit, had to contend for those things that God had put in him. We can see that he was still vulnerable to weaknesses, to drawing back, to not being resolute about the things of God that he knew. Now, it's not in everything, but this is just one thing. He was called out as a hypocrite, even though he was the one that God initially gave the vision to about that Gentiles could be saved as well as the Jewish people. So we could say this, Peter was a person like us, vulnerable to weakness, even having a revelation from God of new truth. So we see then there's things about Peter that he did not relent on. He was asleep one night in the prison and an angel has to wake him and stir him up and tell him, get your clothes on, get going, because he was at peace in himself with where he is and who he was in God. We see that things, other things in the scripture tell us that Peter was obviously married. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, he tells us how to be married, verses 1 through 7. He tells us how to be an employee, how to be a master. He tells us all these things because Peter was a real person just like you and me. He didn't have extravagant credentials that qualified him to be something supernatural. He was a person like you and I that was willing to follow Jesus. He was willing to follow Jesus wherever it took him, whatever it required of him, whatever was asked of him. And it wasn't that Jesus was, I'm, that, excuse me, Peter was spectacular, but was the fact that he was willing always to follow and stay taken in by that initial command. See, Peter was a person like us a follower of Jesus. And that is what made him a hero in the book of Acts. So let's move on to another one. Uh, the testimony we see in Acts chapter 9 is another uh, testimony of a hero. And this hero's name started out as Saul, and he was an antagonist, an enemy force, to the move of God, to the ways of the Lord. But then in Acts chapter 9, we see something phenomenal happen. And he's on his way to Damascus with letters in his hand from authorities that give him permission to arrest and imprison anybody that is of the way, or we could say a believer in Christ. And yet a bright light shines on him. All around him, this bright light comes. He testifies later that it's brighter than the noonday sun. And this light causes an awakening to his heart and soul. 
because Jesus begins to speak to him and ask him why he is persecuting him. Now, Saul is on the road to Damascus, driven by a passion for God. He feels that those believers in Jesus Christ are in opposition to what God's mandate is in the earth. He is not a born-again believer. He is not one that's been instructed about Jesus the Messiah having been raised from the dead. In fact, who he is, is he is the man that we see that is consenting to Stephen stoning. He is the one that is willing to allow someone confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to be stoned. And it says he consented to Stephen's death. Now, this is a phenomenal transition, a phenomenal change. Let's look in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and see what he called him, what he thought of himself, who he was before this road to Damascus experience. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So he says, formerly, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, and I was an insolent man. And that word insolent means violently arrogant. So there was violence in his life concerning those that believed in Jesus Christ. He blasphemed them. He persecuted them. See, Paul was a passionate man, but even in his passion, he was wrong and in error. So Paul's passion, even in error, caused him to do things against the will and plan of God. And the Acts 9 encounter was caused him to wake up. In fact, it opened his eyes spiritually and blinded his eyes naturally. And he was blind for a number of days until God sent someone to pray for him. But from that point on, he was converted and changed because now his spirit was awakened and alive to who Jesus Christ was and what the right call and commission was. Now he can move in accuracy with his passion. Think of how passionate he must have been that he was willing to um, persecute people. He was willing to have people murdered all because they opposed his religious view. Now think of how great that is when we transfer that over into him as a born again man of God that he still bears that level of passion, that level of exuberance, that level of determination for people to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord. Yet it tells us in Acts chapter 13, verse 46, that he grew bold. 
He grew bold. Now, it's interesting to note, if we look back in Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 3, it's, Paul is giving here his credentials, if we could say it that way. He says in verse 3 of Philippians 3, we are the circumcision, meaning we are Jews, who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. So he goes on here now and is explaining his credentials of why in the flesh he is worthy of being in this ministry. He says, I am circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, I persecuted the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I am blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Think of this. He had all the credentials that was required of the Jewish faith. He was circumcised, he was of, the, of uh, the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he was a Pharisee, he was zealous, he was righteous, he says he was blameless even according to the law. He was all of these things, but yet he gets down to and says, I count all of that rubbish. So unlike Peter, who had no credentials. We have Paul that is loaded with credentials. So whether we are a person like Peter with no qualifications or a person like Paul with many qualifications, all of it is irrelevant because what counts is this point where he talks about, I have to gain Christ gain the anointing, the same thing that Peter knew about himself. It's interesting to think about some of the things that Paul did. Paul healed a crippled man. Paul was stoned and raised up. Paul praised God in prison and experienced a supernatural deliverance. It was spoken of Paul that unusual miracles were done by him, that handkerchiefs and aprons could be prayed over, laid on the sick, and they would recover. Another thing that's interesting about Paul is in Acts 19, when the seven sons of Sceva try to cast out devils out of someone, that the devil responded and saying, Paul, I know. And Jesus I know, but who are you? So we know that Paul had impacted the kingdom of darkness, obviously put restrictions and restraints on the kingdom of darkness. We know Paul was the one that was, when he was on the Isle of Malta, shook off the viper off of his hand 
and it fell away, and he was unharmed and uh, uninjured um, from that viper's bite. And the natives then thought maybe he was a god. We see Paul was the one chosen to testify before Caesar. Most of all, we recognize Paul today as the writer of much of our New Testament books. But what was it about Paul? Paul was a man of passion. Peter was a follower. Paul is one filled with passion. He is passionate about the things of God. And when he became converted and learned about Jesus Christ, he was passionate about that. God can use people like us if we are as passionate as we can possibly be. Passion is something that can be quenched or squelched. But yet, God isn't looking for people with special qualifications. He is looking for ordinary people, if I can say it that way, with passion so that they can become extraordinary. The extra on extraordinary is passion. And all of us need to recognize and realize we can be extraordinary if we will just add passion to being ordinary like the Apostle Paul did. He had qualifications, yet he didn't do anything that he did based on and according to those qualifications. Instead, it was the fact that he remained passionate about the things of God that qualified him to do great exploits for God. So maybe we can't relate to an Apostle Peter who walked with Jesus and followed him or an Apostle Paul with great qualifications and... Um, became extraordinary because of his passion. Let's look over to Acts chapter 6 because there's other people that aren't apostolic in the book of Acts that are also heroes. And Acts chapter 6 verse 1, we see that in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So we have here uh, an issue within the church because some people were feeling neglected at table service time. And so what happens is the 12 say, we're not going to do this because we are commissioned with the word, but let's find seven men, seven people that can serve to help wait on the tables. And the requirements were, they have to be of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom that they were going to appoint over this business. So what we're looking for is for people to wait tables. 
But when they're waiting tables, we have to make sure they're of good reputation and filled with the Holy Spirit. That was the requirements, that they'd have wisdom about them. And in verse 5, it says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they go on a list who they choose. And then they set them before the apostles, they lay hands on them, they pray for them, and then they, they, they're basically commissioned out to wait on tables. Now, the first one that we see here mentioned is Stephen. Isn't it interesting that Stephen's first job was to wait on tables? Now, we have to know that according to the criteria, Stephen had a good reputation and he was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. But if we look here in verse 8 in Acts chapter 6, it also says that Stephen was full of faith and power, and he did great wonders and signs among the people. Well, I thought he was commissioned to be a table waiter. But yet, because he was filled with faith and power, he also did great wonders and signs among the people. How many of us don't see ourselves as doing great signs and wonders because our commission is to wait tables. We don't see ourselves like Stephen saw himself, obviously, that this was a commission and an opportunity for God to move. This was a promotion to be able to be commissioned to wait tables. Well, we think, well, our profession is just waiting tables. What good is that to God? What can I do? Well, if you're full of faith, if you are faithful and power is there, you are qualified to do great wonders and signs among people. See, Stephen was one just like us, waiting tables, doing what people would consider a less than task a less than job, not relevant, not important, not something that is promotional. But yet he was faithful, full of faith. And because he was full of faith, table waiting didn't hold him down. But instead, he was found himself doing great signs and wonders among the people. And then he does so many great things that he becomes a threat to those that are not believers in Jesus Christ. And they secretly induce men to speak false things about him. They stir up people against him. They do all these things because he was a testimony, a witness, and a manifestation of the glory of God. Waiting tables. He was qualified for great things because he was faithful to do what he was asked to do. He was full of faith. He was doing what he was asked to do. Then they give the high priest in Acts chapter 7 gives him an opportunity to testify and speak and defend himself. And he basically gives them a history lesson of their uh, Jewish faith. And then all of a sudden... In verse 51 of Acts chapter 7, he turns and says, 
you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so did you. And then he goes on, and this is the tipping point. He no longer is soothing them that I am one of you. He now is bringing down the hammer that says, we need to have Jesus Christ in our life. Well, this stirs them up and outrages them, and they run at him. And, of course, we know what happens to Stephen. Stephen then is drugged out of the city and stoned. They surround him and stone him. And this is where, where Saul is at, consenting to his death. It's interesting that Stephen, the, word, the name Stephen means crown. And we know by this passage of Scripture here in Acts chapter 7, that Stephen saw Jesus standing in the heavenlies when he looked up while he was being stoned. So it's interesting that Stephen was the first to receive the martyr's crown for believing in Jesus Christ. Stephen was a lot like us. He was willing to serve tables. He was found faithful, yet... He was mistreated, he was lied about, he was abused, but yet he was full of faith and the power of the Holy Spirit. He was a man like us, but he was faithful. So not only do we see Peter, one like us, that followed Jesus, not only do we see Paul, one like us, but yet passionate, we see Stephen, one like us, but full of faith, depending and relying on God. Let's look back at Acts chapter 6 again in verse 5 and look at another one that they had chosen. Another one they had chosen was a man by the name of Philip. And of course, Philip, also chosen to serve tables, must have been of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, in order to be called to this position. But yet there's more to Philip's story. And if we get over to Acts chapter 8, we see something that happened to Philip. And it says in verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And then it talks about how Philip then explains to him about the, what the prophet was saying. And then he basically leads him to Jesus. And he says, if you believe, you can be baptized. And so he baptizes this, this man. Hallelujah. And then he disappears. So what we see is Philip was sensitive to the, the bidding of the Lord. 
An angel speaks to him, and he goes and does. And then he's told, go overtake this chariot. So Philip goes and does. And then he goes up and speaks to the man about the passage he was reading in the book of Isaiah. So we know Philip has revelation and insight um, from following and walking with the Lord. And then he goes and he baptizes him, which they were told to do when people were saved. So he, he baptizes him, and then they come up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord catches him away, and he's at another town. It's in, interesting that the name Philip means the speed of horses. So Philip not only could overtake a chariot, but he could disappear and appear in another town, obviously faster than the speed of horses. And he goes through, then it says in verse 40, he was found at Azotos and preaching through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So we have to understand that Philip was called to wait on tables. That was what his commission was. But yet, because he was always obedient to what the Lord had him do, what the Lord wanted him to do, he was used to convert people. He was translated. He was used to baptize others. It says he preached in all the cities. And when you get over to Acts 21, verse 8, it refers to him not as a table waiter, but as an evangelist. We have many table waiters, if I can say it that way, in the body of Christ that are truly evangelists. Now, it doesn't say here that he quit being a table waiter. But what we know is he had, even, he had evangelistic anointing on his life. Furthermore, we see that he also had four daughters that prophesied. So obviously, he was a father that raised his house well. He was a people like us. He obviously was a man that was thought, thought worthy during this time because it says Paul's companions stayed with him. So we understand that he had credibility with the 12, but yet we understand that he was just called as a table waiter. There wasn't an extravagant calling or gifting on him. There wasn't some special thing he was asked to do. Because what he did is he made table waiting spiritual. He made it into something that enlarged that job. How many of us have a job that we feel is tedious, unimportant, maybe not really penetrating the kingdom of darkness or enlarging the kingdom of God? But yet, if we will be obedient to what we're called to do and put our heart in it, then God is able to take that task and enlarge it to be a supernatural thing. Here he was, a table waiter evangelist with four daughters that prophesied. That's lodging the Apostle Paul's companions. A supernatural thing he was doing. But yet his commission 
was table waiter. But he was a person like us, but yet he was obedient. I want to look at one more man, and this is found in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, we have a military man, a centurion of the Italian regiment, meaning he was Roman, a Roman centurion. And in verse 2 of chapter 10 in Acts, it says, He was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So we see things about him. He's a Roman centurion, but he's a devout man. He fears God with all his household. Obviously, he's a leader of his house. He gave alms generously to the people. Notice, it doesn't talk about the alms he gave to God or the offerings he gave to God, but he gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So we see here that he was a man of compassion because he gave alms, which usually means charitable gifts, alms to people. And yet he was a devout man and feared God. And I just want to throw this in. He was a man of compassion, but because he followed God, he knew where to put those alms. He knew the people to give them to. See, because compassion without discernment from heaven becomes an enabler, but compassion led by God becomes empowering. And his prayers and his alms spoke to God, not his military ability, not the fact that he was Roman, not the fact that he was considered a superior citizen. What spoke to God is that fact that he was devoted or devout and that he loved people. So we have Cornelius being a regular man that loved God, loved people. He loved God, loved people. And it spoke so much to God that God gives Peter the vision of Gentiles being saved because of Cornelius. Cornelius is the doorway that opened up for Peter to have the vision. Cornelius was the one that put the demand on the spirit that Gentiles could be saved. Cornelius's love for God and love for people is what caused Peter to have this great vision and caused Peter to become obedient to that vision to follow Cornelius's men. And we see here, as you go on in Acts chapter 10, then Peter comes to Cornelius's household, begins to preach to that household. The Holy Spirit falls on them, and it's a confirmation to Peter of the vision that he previously had. So we see that Cornelius, one man, a person like us, that just loves God and loves people, penetrated in the spirit realm a way to bring through the vision of Peter a whole new theology to those that were believers in Christ. The fact that the Gentiles also could be saved. His passion and love for God and love for humanity opened the doorway for revelation of heaven to get to the earth. But yet... He was just a person like us. He was just, he was a military man. He might have been a high citizen, but yet the things that opened the realm of the spirit 
for God to move weren't his credentials of citizenship, but rather the things that he did in loving God and loving people. See, Cornelius was a man like us that loved God and loved man. Now, we have to, with all of these people, Peter, he was just a man that followed God. Paul, he was just a man with extreme passion. Um, Stephen was just a man that was faithful and full of faith. Philip was a man that was just obedient. Cornelius was just a man that loved God and loved people. And all of them, we recognize the supernatural on them. But yet all of them were birthed through a woman. All of them were children at one time. All of them were people that were ordinary until they gave themselves over to God supernaturally somehow and they became extraordinary. Let's look here, and we're getting ready to close here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse 25, it says, The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For I see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the things, uh, to, has chosen weak things of the, to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, excuse me, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh, should glory in his presence. No flesh is to glory in his presence. See, God doesn't choose things because they are great, they are wonderful, and they are phenomenal. God doesn't choose people because they're great, they're wonderful, and they're magnificent. God chooses people that are willing to accept the fact that all of my wisdom is foolishness compared to God. All of me needs more of God. It's not by my might, not by my power, but it's by His Spirit that I can do these things. God even says to us that we, the gifts we have in Romans 12, 6, the gifts that we have are according to the grace of God and they differ that we're supposed to do things not by our natural ability, but we are supposed to be doing things out of the grace of God given to us. We are supposed to be operating and living life out of divine influence on our heart with a reflection of God then in our life. So we conduct our life not by capability, but we conduct our life by vulnerability to the Holy Spirit. And then he tells us, you know, in 1 Peter 1.13, that grace is given to us when we see Jesus at the revealing of Jesus. So it's telling me that if I look at Jesus, if I study Jesus, if I have Jesus revealed to me, then grace comes to me, and in that grace comes a gifting. So now I'm no longer subject 
to having to say I'm without ability because whatever is asked of me, whatever is required of me, I can go and see Jesus, have him revealed to me. I can get a grace, a divine influence, and that causes me to be able to do it because the sufficiency is not of myself, but my sufficiency is of him. And then we can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because all of these men, Peter, Paul, Stephen, Philip, Cornelius, they did great things because of the divine influence that came upon them to do great things. And we can determine how much of that divine influence we're going to have by the time we are willing to sit and consume revelation of Jesus in our life. So you might be today thinking, I'm just a barely make it person. I am nothing phenomenal. I am nothing great in the kingdom of God. Well, it's time to change that now. Have Jesus be revealed to you through time spent with him and a divine grace can come upon you that who knows, maybe extraordinary miracles will be done through your hands. Maybe you'll be translated, excuse me, translated from place to place to do the will of the Lord. Maybe you can preach a sermon and 3,000 be saved because all of these in the book of Acts were people just like us, empowered by the grace of God to do all things through Christ who strengthens them. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray for every hearer of this word. And I pray, Father, that there is an impartation into them, that they not be content any longer with seeing need and thinking they have nothing they can do about it, with seeing a lack and thinking they have no way to mend that. I thank you, Father, that this today is an imparting word that empowers us to rise up, move forward in God, be graced to accomplish great and mighty things, that we continue to write the book of Acts with ordinary people receiving the grace of God to do extraordinary things that we will never be the same again, counted average or common, but we are the heroes in the book of Acts time that we live and operate in right now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I call you blessed. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to watch the video of this message, head over to vimeo.com forward slash WO Victory or go to Jerry Roberts Ministry on Roku. For more information about who we are and what we do here at Order Victory, check out the website at wovictory.org. That's wovictory.org. See you there.